Well, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit. It's kind of interesting as I was thinking about what I wanted to share. I was thinking back about when I was a younger kid, uh, probably long before any of you in this room would have ever known me. I was probably, oh, I'm thinking 8, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. And, you know, I was, when I was a kid, I was known for talking. Uh, that may be a surprise to some of you, but probably not to those who know me very well. Um, I would talk, but I get it from my mother, honestly. My mother would talk to anything with lips, includes humans, dogs, cats. And I knew she talked to ducks, which, you know, doesn't have lips. So, so uh, because we, were, we had ducks when I was a kid. But, but anyway, we were traveling with my dad. I was traveling with my dad. My dad, for some reason, this, this year, they decided to take me on the hunting trip. I don't know if when you went on your first hunting trip with your dad, man. But uh, it was kind of an un- unusual situation. Back in those days, I think we had circa 1960 Studebaker which, as you know, is a perfect truck for hunting or car for hunting. You know, it's, not, it's, a, it's a tank, really, uh, but there were no racks on top. You know, we had, we had to shove everything into the trunk and everything around us. So my dad was driving, of course. My, I was in the middle seat, which, you know, I don't even remember if we had seat belts then. So that's the world we lived in. And my brother, I'm pretty sure it was Bruce on the right-hand side of me, and then Scott was in the back, but the back was stacked with everything just stacked with everything. I mean, you had all kinds of tents and coolers and, you know, because we were going to get that three-point buck this year. Uh, We never, by the way, ever got a three-point buck. We never, I don't think my dad, on all the years I ever knew that he hunted, he never got anything. But anyway, we were always ready to pack it home. So we're driving along and, you know, I, I, I do like to talk. I'll admit that. And uh, after about five or six hours, my dad turned to me and said, please. Oh, sorry. He didn't say please. He said, Bob, stop talking. He my dad mandated things. That's how he worked. I said, okay. you know, it didn't bother me. That always happened to me. That's why it's kind of hard to insult me now if you, unless you start pointing your watches in the middle of the sermon. So, uh, so I stopped talking, and we're driving along, and pretty soon we hit a rut in the road that should have been a national park. It was so big, it, was so, it shook the whole car, and everything flew up everywhere, and all the stuff in the backseat. My brother Scott was just covered with coolers and hunting gear and everything, and we're like, you know, my dad, not to quote my dad exactly, because this is not exactly what he said, but he said, what the heck was that? <laughs> I said, so I said, I thought it was a question, so I thought I could talk again. <laughs> so I said, well, it's probably about that sign back there that said, road under construction, slow down. And he said, how come you didn't tell us that you saw that sign? I said, you told me not to talk. It was a, I, I remember those words. You told me not to talk. It was like one of the first things. I, so. But anyway, dads, I'm under no such constraints today. I'm not told not to talk. I'm told here, here to talk. And today I want to point out some warning signs that you might have in your life that God has put in the scriptures for us to pay attention to. Those signs that say the road ahead is going to be rough, it's going to be tough, and if you don't pay attention to this, the potential happens, in, and what happens in life when you begin to hit those rough roads is much more difficult than just the luggage and the cooler and the tent being tossed around. So we're going to look at Second Chronicles chapter 29. It's probably not a place you're too familiar with, but we're going to look at that. And today we're going to take a look at the warning signs along the path of the life of one king, King Uzziah. And we're looking back at that, and we're going to see these warning signs in the scriptures that are there to alert us to dangers that are in our lives and things that are in our lives that we need to pay attention to. Um, And, you know, many of you, I think, are at the stage of life. Some of you, and I look around, it's a kind of a wide range 
But, you know, I think that a lot of us are at a stage of life where things are going pretty good. And, uh, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. I don't know if you remember the days when you came home and tried to remember a new recipe for Top Ramen. You know, <laughs> the, there were days when things were hard and things were tough. And maybe it's not like that for you anymore. And that's, you know, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. Um, but there's, we're going to look at the life of Uzziah. And we're going to try to look and see what were some signs that were in his life. And how can they serve us and how can they treat us? So, you know, I don't know if you remember King Uzziah, but your first time you really probably ever noticed him was in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, and don't turn there, that's okay, I'll just tell you what happened here. Is it, it, Chapter 6 begins like this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. What happened in chapter 6, and just to kind of give you a short reminder, is that Isaiah had a vision at that point, and that's where he receives a call for ministry. But what starts that, what's the most memorable thing about that year was the year that King Uzziah dies. And I think without knowing what happened in his life, we are put at a little bit of a hindrance of really understanding the impact upon the nation that this had, the death of his, this King Uzziah had on him. So Uzziah... Um, what happened, and let me just give you a little bit of background. We're going we're gonna to look at chapter 26, but Uzziah became king at the age of 16 in place of his father. Now, if we had a quick summary of Uzziah's father, um, he's, it's in the previous chapter, but it's summarized by this phrase in the previous chapter. It says, he did right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Now, that was his father's legacy. Now, his father, by the way, just so you know, God used him in a time of trouble. He was very much used by God. Uh, but at a certain point in his life, he brought idols into the temple, which, of course, no one cared for. And what happened was is that God delivered him into the hands of Joash. And in the end, Uzziah's father, his own people conspired against him to kill him in a town called Lashish. And any Hebrew or Greek names, you know that I'm probably going to mess them up. So... But it was about 30 miles south of Jerusalem, which is basically he got killed by friendly fire that was on fired on purpose. So that's the legacy of his father. So under that cloud of people who set out to kill his father, Uzziah is made king at the age of 16. Now, either you're young enough to remember being 16 or you're old enough to have a kid who's 16. And either way, I apologize for bringing this memory up to your mind. Boys that are 16, you know, um, I don't know about you, but it seems like, you know, I, I was on pretty shaky ground at that time. I was looking through some counsel by Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. Do you remember him? Samuel Clemens had advice about raising boys. Here's what he said. When a boy turns 13, put him in a barrel and feed him through the knot hole. When he turns 16, close up the hole. So this is how... This is the age that Uzziah becomes king. But what happens is, and, and by the way, if we're, most of us were honest, we would say that if our parents didn't have serious convictions, we would have driven them to drink at 16. We all drove our family nuts. In fact, that's one of the reasons why parents love to see grandkids. You know, you see grandkids, you see, watch what it works. Watch what happens now. This is going to be fun. This is all going to be fun. So anyway... But here's Uzziah. He's 16 years old. He's king of the nation. He can do anything. And if you look in the chapter, you can see where it says that. It says in verse 1, actually, it talks about how he's 16 years old. 
when they made him king. And it starts to talk about the things that he did. And look in verse 3, it says that his mother's name was, and again, forgive the pronunciation, Jachilia. Now, Jachilia was, that's an interesting name. I was trying to think, why does it take the time to mention his mother? And the name of his mother is quite remarkable. Her name means Yah has been able. He is able. That was the song that came from her. Every time she heard her name, she heard, was reminded that God is able. That's what, how his mother was. Now, Uzziah's name alone means, my power is in Yahweh. So that's how he was formed and brought up. So Uzziah didn't have, he had somewhat of a good example, because remember, his father did right in the eyes of the Lord, not, but not with a whole heart. But we're told in verse 4 that he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Skip the names. So it's kind of interesting because he did right with what the Lord did. And and look at verse 5. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding through the vision of God. And notice this, as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. That's a remarkable phrase. God prospered him. What does it look like when God prospers someone? Well, this is a great example of what it looks like when God's on your side. I just, you know, when I started to look at this and I started to realize that this is a picture of what happens when someone follows God with their heart. So what does it look like? It's, It's kind of remarkable. I was kind of surprised when I began to study this. Now, here's a man who steps into the role of king at age 16. He steps into that. He follows the Lord. In verse 6, we start to see about some of the things that happened in his life. Now, he went out and he warred against the Philistines. We've heard of those guys before. And he wins. He broke down the wall at Gath, the wall at Jebna, the walls at Ashdod. He built cities in the area of Ashdod among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. He's got major enemies and he's having victories. So that's kind of what it looks like when God prospers. But there's a lot more than that. Look at this. He says, the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extends to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. You see, when God is on your side or Uzziah's side, God prospers because he's striving to to please the Lord. He's striving to do what he was meant to do. And here's a man who's making his nation safer, and he becomes known throughout the entire ancient world. It's kind of remarkable, really, when you look at it, um, because, there, you know, we hear so much about how strong Solomon was. This man had a, just, just two, two, out, two parts out of 12 that uh, Solomon had to deal with because he didn't have a full nation. And here's a man who was a strategist. He built towers. Look there in verse, um, in verse 9. Moreover, Uzziah built towers. Why would you build towers? They're not, they're, they're not for pleasure. They're not for gardens. What are towers for in that age? They're for looking out for the enemy. They're for calling it. They're, they're to look ahead to see when trouble's coming and to warn people back there to be ready. You see, he's not just sitting in the peace that he has. He's always thinking about what the future could bring. Wow. I think he's a, a, an amazing example. Um, and then you see, you can see this enemy from a long distance. You can see others. And he's a forward-looking man. He anticipates trouble. You know, I was thinking about what would that guy look like in this world? You know what? That would be the, 
and pardon this analyst because uh, I, I, am, I do work in data analysts. This is the data analyst that backed up the database before the system failed. This is the guy who looked at the market and said, you know, the market's going to go bad and we need to do something different about it. This is the guy who looks forward. This is a man who can look forward and see that when trouble comes, I'm ready for it. This is who Uzziah is. Now, that's not just it. I, I think that's kind of the amazing thing. He's, he never forgot about the sustenance of the land. Look at this in verse 10. He built towers in the wilderness, huge cisterns. Those are wells. Those are places to get drink. For he had, he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and the plains. And he also had plowmen and vinegressers in the hill and the country. He wasn't just a man of war. He knew that as a provider for the nation, he had so much more than just war to take care of. And by the way, fathers, that's an exhortation. You don't just have to guard the house. You've got to bring, you got to supply and make sure that everyone's needs are met in the home. So he goes on, and, and, and moreover, look at this. This is, I think, one of the more remarkable things in verse 11. Moreover, moreover Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which could enter camp combat by divisions according to the number of, the, of their muster, prepared by Jael, the scribe, and the official, under a direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. And the total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600. Under their direction, verse 13, there was an elite army of 307, 500 who could wage war with great power. He had special forces the size of 307,000 troops. The special forces in the United States are estimated, and keep in mind this estimate probably comes from Google, so, but the estimate is 72,000 troops. We have 300 million people in the United States. They had, I don't know, I couldn't find the number, but I'm going to guess somewhere in the 30 million bracket. So they had one-tenth the number of people, and they had four times the number of special forces. I could probably find the real number. Then I'd have to, if I found the real number and I knew the real number, I'd probably have to kill myself because you're not supposed to know the real number unless you're high up. But, you know, the best information I could find, there's about 5,500 Green Berets, 2,400 Navy SEALs. They're all made up in different branches of the U.S., but 7,200 is what we have now. He had 305,500 men in their special forces. So he wasn't about to let the defense of the nation be at risk. And over and above that, look in verse 15. This amazes me too. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners of the purpose for shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread afar. Here's a guy who not only did he arm his army well, he was on the cutting edge of technology of his day. This is a guy who, if, he, if you worked with him, he was always learning whatever's new and talking to skillful men who could help him navigate those paths that are so hard to navigate in our changing world. So here's a guy, if he was a CEO, he'd be one of the sharpest CEOs around. He'd be, he'd be just right on top of things, and, and he would be the cutting edge. And you're thinking, man, that's the kind of guy I want to be. That's a guy I want, I want to be on that cutting edge. He wasn't just a cutting edge. He, was, he wasn't on it. He was it. He was the guy who was talking to people. How do we make this better? How do we improve this better? He was surrounded by people, and he took counsel 
from skillful people in, in war, and no doubt in, in farming and things of that nature as well. So we're told everyone knew about him. His fame spreads. And, and I'm very sure that if our lives are lived according to the principles of God, our fame begins to spread too. And your work, if you are a godly worker, and you are diligent to be on the uh, learning things, listening to people, your fame will become known. You will be way, well known to your leaders. It, sometimes it takes a certain degree of patience, but that's how God prospers. That's what he does, and that's what happens. And, and then this is where we start to read about the warning signs that were there for us to help us watch out. Look at the last part of verse 15. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Whoa. That's like, you know, I picture that like one of those commercials. You remember how all those cars, they, they put them in those crash tests and they put the dummies in there? It's like a real person was in there. I mean, this is graphic. This is, this is like a full stop. This is a hit. This stops his progress right there. What happened? What, 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 what does that mean that he was, he was made strong? Well, that word strong is uh, the same word that was used of Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 7. Do you remember what happened? Pharaoh made his heart strong or hard. You see, Uzziah's heart became strong or independent from God. And men, it's intentional that God made him strong. And you know what? He was strong. But his heart became hard toward God. And that's the beginning, that's the first warning light on the dashboard that's beeping at you and it's saying, man, you are headed for trouble. You are headed for trouble. Verse, in in fact, I was looking this up, I was thinking about the scriptures. The scriptures do encourage us to be strong. They say to be strong, but how are we to be strong? In the Lord. That's absolutely critical. The minute we think our strength is dependent upon everything we've done and everything we do, we're in big trouble. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Do you know, Uzziah did stand. He did stand strong. But he didn't take heed, and he does fall. Watch what happens to this. This is when pride, by the way, jumps in. It has all the subtlety of a 7.5 earthquake. It's not subtle at all. And I think it's an odd affliction uh, because I think it's one of the few afflictions that only the person who's sick with it doesn't realize they have it. You know? Like if I have a sore on my hand, I know I got a sore on my hand. Or, you know, I got some scars because I was doing yard work yesterday. I saw them bleed. I know they're there. But, you know, you don't see them. And it seems like everybody else around you sees pride long before you do see it. So let's look at how that manifested to to him. Verse 16. But when he became strong, remember hard of heart, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. Now, do you notice the progression in that? Men, do you see that? What happened? His heart became hard. His heart, no one could see it. So it's all internal, it's all invisible. And all of a sudden, he acts corruptly corruptly. He's, he's unfaithful, and he was unfaithful to the Lord. That's what happens. That's, 
when your heart dwells on something, it moves that way. And if you can't catch it at that point, you're in trouble. Um, you know, um, there are times that our hearts go places that we never programmed our internal GPS to take us, right? I was, Judy and I use GPS all the time now, and every once in a while we end up horribly and terribly lost. Um, and uh, somewhere in the middle of the trip, we stop the trip, we say, well, wait a minute, we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong direction. You know, you have to be able to tell yourself in the middle of something you think looks interesting, wait a minute, is this the right direction for me? You have to be able to ask that question. So our hearts go places, you know, and, and there are times when, like, I would think, well, you know, I, that was not a terrible thought. But how, where did it come from? I never, I never put that in my day. I never read a devotion on how to be sinful. It just comes out. And men, you know, I don't have to get on the specifics of what the sin is that each one of us deal with, but we all know they're there. We know where our mind goes, where it trends. And I'm saying that we have to take every thought captive, and if we leave it unchecked, we will act. And when we act on a heart that's out of alignment, we act corruptly, just as Uzziah did. Now, what is the corruption that he did? Well, the actual thing he did is summed up in the middle of this verse, I think. It says that he was unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, what does that mean? How does that show itself? You know, um, one of the things that I, as I was thinking about through this, um, I was kind of thinking about the fact that um, uh, it, it changed two things. He did things he should have never done. We'll look at that in just a moment. But he also came to worship God on his, on his own premise, on his own... Uh, let's say he, he determined how he was going to worship God. He did not let God determine how God would be worshipped. You know, man, I can't tell you how dangerous that is. When you start to think, I'm going to worship God like I want to worship God, you are looking for trouble. And you're barking up the wrong tree. He forgot the one who blessed him and who brought him to where he was. And, you know, what he does there is he steps into that temple. You see that in verse 16. He enters the temple of the Lord to burn incense in the altar of incense. He determines, I'm going to worship God the way I want to worship God. I'm going to tell God who's in charge here. That's where pride starts. That's where, that's, that is absolutely the most dangerous thing we can begin to do. Not only that, he starts to take a role that he was never intended to do. He starts to do something that he knows is not permitted. So, so what happens at this point in the message, you're thinking, man, you know, for a while I was kind of nervous. I thought Bob was going to talk about something that I could do, and now I'm okay because I'm never going to burn incense in the temple. Well, you know, there is a list of things we all know that we should not be doing. And it doesn't take a genius to realize that there's an application for each one of us in this day and age that there, we are surrounded by a world and an enemy that would love to make a mess out of your life. They'd love to take whatever you think is innocent and turn it into something that is evil and wrong. And you pursue it, you will act on it. So when we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that there was an entire nation of Israel that was very blessed when they came out of the nation, and yet they were unfaithful. In fact, it says that God was not pleased with them. 
Out of five million people, how many entered the promised land? Two, Joshua and Caleb. Five million people, and only two were faithful. That is shocking to me. should be scary to all of us. And it says that they had evil cravings, they were idol worshipers, and there were grumblers. Boy, you wouldn't think grumblers would be right in the same category as idol worshipers. But they're mentioned. They're brought out there. And, God, and Corinthians tells us with most of them, God was not well pleased. But look what Uzziah does next. Verse 17, Then Azariah the priest entered with him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. Got to be valiant. You know what they're going to do? They're confronting a king. They're telling a king he's wrong. They opposed Uzziah, the king, and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, for, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord. You know what he had? He had people brave enough to tell him he was wrong. You know, I am shocked by how many of us don't have someone who can tell us when we're wrong. I am shocked. Sometimes I have to play that role in others' lives. That's not fun. I'm telling you, it's not fun. That's why he needed valiant men. Uh, By the way, the church needs valiant men. We need men who will tell other men, you are messing up, brother. You are messing up. I remember when we were in Belgium, there was one man who left his wife. I called him on the phone. I said, don't do it. Don't do it. Your life will never be the same. You will be sorry. He didn't listen to me. But the point is, is that you may be called to tell someone else not to do it. You might be the person in someone's life that can stop them from driving off the cliff. But look at Uzziah's response. Verse 19, Uzziah, with a censer in his hand, he's right there, he's guilty. And you know, by the way, he's got the censer in his hand, he's still okay. But he was, how was he when he got that? He was enraged. I think that was his downfall. Sinning, by the way, sorry ladies, Men are going to sin. Oh, sorry, men. Ladies are going to sin too, but that's not about ladies today. <laughs> but uh, men will sin. But uh, God help us if there's no one around us to whack us in the back of the head. Wake us up to that. So look what he does. He becomes enraged. And verse 20 Oh, actually, it starts in 19. Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Notice what happens. We know Uzziah acted wrong. He did something that should frighten everybody here. But when he's confronted by the wrong, he gets enraged. He's unteachable. He's unapproachable. They can't convince him not to do this thing. He's furious at the priests. And I don't think it'd be easy to confront a king. It's actually not very easy to confront anybody, but a king would be harder. Um, 
So if you're wise, you have people in your life that you've given permission to confront you about. You've said to one of your brothers, you said, you know what? When I'm out of line, I need you to tell me that. And by the way, your wife already knows it. If you're married, your wife's going to know long before anybody around you. And if you listen to your wife, you probably avoid the embarrassment of being confronted by somebody else. But honestly, you need to give a person permission to be that person in your life. You need to give them permission to confront you when they see things in your life that are not correct. And if you're filled like pride, much like Uzziah did, you will be unapproachable. You know, one of the traits that happens among leaders, characteristically, they have a lack of self-awareness. Did you know that? They're just kind of oblivious to what's going on. They think what they're doing is right because they have that natural tendency to lead. And they need people around them that will confront them and talk to them about things. And every one of us men are leaders in our home and in our workplace. There are things that are going on around you that people look at and they admire, even if you don't realize that's going on. Your life as a believer is so entirely different than them. They're trying to figure out what makes you run. And as they watch you, they will watch you rise, and they may watch your demise if your pride enters into your life. So every one of us needs that person to tell us that we're seriously missing what we're missing. And I I think I was a little bit surprised that God didn't strike him when he enters a temple when he's sinning, but only when he refuses to be corrected. There's a picture there, a picture that tells us that. His initial sin was invading that priest's office, trying to worship God as an, on, his own, on his own decision of how, this is God, how God is worshipped. That's his initial sin, but that sin, the question of him being in the temple was immediately resolved when leprosy is struck. When lepr- leprosy strikes his life, he knows immediately that he cannot be in that worship. In fact, the very thing he desired to do was come into the, the temple and worship God, and now he will never be able to do that again. Once you're declared a leper, you can't go back to the temple. His sin of entering the temple to do the wrong thing and basically resulted in him not being able to enter the temple ever again. And Uzziah, of course, he had a different role than you and I, but it's important, it was important for the nation to realize the consequences of behaving like Uzziah did. In fact, That's where Isaiah comes in. Isaiah was so impacted by that, he remembers that year that King Uzziah died. He remembers the story and the declaration of of how remarkable uh, of an event that was. That shook an entire nation. So, and that's that's that response. There was a consequences to behaving like him. But you know, for you and I, whether we see spots on our forehead or not, we are desperately ill when, when pride comes in. We are sick. And we may well be that marker to others that says, don't do this. Don't go there. I do not want to be a caution point in the lives of others. I do not want to be an example of how life should not be lived. You know, this... Uh, um, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how, what King Uzziah's life was like. Verse 17, look at this. Then Uzziah the priest, um, oh, I'm sorry, it's not verse 17, it's, um, 
Yeah. It's a little bit later. Made the wrong note, but it says, verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. In that small verse, we tell you that his entire life changed because of his pride. I'll tell you this, that I know men who have made bad choices and their entire life was changed because they, made, they lived in pride and that pride brought them to make a wrong decision and a wrong choice. They ended up being alone and lonely and dying alone. This last week, many of you know my brother Scott passed away. Tuesday, we were with him in the hospital. And back in, I was in Connecticut on Tuesday. And um, it wasn't fun. I, I, I know that he went on to be in to the arms of Jesus, and I, I know that was true. Scott had a seven strokes, and uh, we saw pictures of his uh, MRIs of his brain. A quarter of his brain was basically all grayed out. It was no longer functional. His legs wouldn't work. His hands wouldn't work. His speech didn't work. He could nod his head yes or no and shake his shoulders like this, and that's about all he could do. Um, he had a hard time breathing, but, you know, as it, uh, as it came down to the end of his life, one, you know, several people kept coming by. They kept sending everybody by because, I don't know, I guess we must have looked helpless or something. I don't know. But in the room with him was myself, his wife, two of his kids by different marriage, and two of his grandchildren by different marriage from his kids. But the, the, uh, one of the chaplains at the, at the Yale Hospital said Scott was blessed to be surrounded by people. When I think of King Uzziah's life, he lived in a separate house. He lived all alone. He didn't have anybody to talk to him as he died. He didn't have anyone to talk to because no one would go near him. That's what, where pride takes us. That's where pride will take you. And like I said, in Isaiah, we see that world which in Isaiah steps in. He receives a vision. And uh, <clears throat> the entire nation is struck by that. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, as I look through and I think about the main points of this, I have to think about these things. If you're walking with the Lord, it's very likely you will find success in your, in your world. Not always. But, you know, honestly, some people who don't find success aren't, are too proud to, to walk with the Lord, humble themselves, and seek advice. But a lot of us in the business world, when we're in this jo- these jobs we have, God does bring good things. Sometimes we get promotions. Sometimes we get that raise. Sometimes we are a good employee because we're striving to do those things that the Lord pleases the Lord. And I think success, in particular an example from Uzziah, is that it was rooted in keeping a balance and acknowledging the expertise of those that you work with. He knew he was surrounded by people who were skilled, and he took their advice, he took their leadership, he was forward-looking. But you know, in success, success is dangerous because we start to believe that the success we have was made by our own doing. We start to think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Of course I'm getting a promotion. Of course I'm getting this or that. We start to think, well, you know, I worked hard for this thing. The only reason you have a job is because God gave you a job. The only reason you have an income or a check that comes because God provides those things. The things you have from, come from God. But when you start to think that you're doing something special and you deserve this, your heart's becoming hard. It's like that little light on the dashboard. 
uh, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, uh, saw a dashboard light come on and didn't think much of it. Thought it was just saying, there's oil in the car. Four weeks later, there was a new engine in the car. <laughs> Lights are there. But by the way, that was the fault of the father. And I won't tell you who he is. Because he never instructed what those lights were about. You have been instructed. God has told you what those danger signs are. Don't blame God when things go bad because you ignore his counsel. That's ridiculous. So in successor, you might begin to have pride. If you have developed pride, trust me, you will overstep boundaries. That's what pride does. Pride draws its own line. Pride decides that this is right and this is wrong. I'm in charge of this. I make the rules around here. That's what pride does. I'm the father of my own house. If you do overstep your boundaries, you might ignore counsel. That is the most dangerous place to be. Blessed is he who walks in the counsel of godly. When you ignore counsel... You are in big danger. You, got, you are in big trouble. You're in danger of really blowing it. And if you ignore counsel, you will not finish well. That will be your legacy. Look at the legacy of uh, Uzziah. It says, verse 23, Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings, for they said, he's a leper. That's how he got known. Not for everything great he did. He did a lot of great things. He did a lot of fantastic things. You're going to do a lot of great and fantastic things. But what will you be remembered for? Oh, his pride got out of hand. He's a result of his own problems. You do not want to be a warning sign to others. You do not want to be a bad example. And you do not want to, your children to consider you a bad example. I trust that on Father's Day, you're going to go home, you're going to have a nice big juicy hamburger or something, you're going to have something really fun. You start talking about that, you start getting distracted, so I'd save that till the end. <clears throat> but while you're enjoying all those things, and you're enjoying the family, and you're surrounded by family, remember that you are a leader in your home. Whether people say it or not, they look to you for guidance and leadership. You cannot afford to ignore the danger signs that are all around you. None of us can. Now, whether you're a dad, granddad, or don't even have plans to be married yet, I don't care where you are, men. God needs valiant and godly men in this world because there are so few examples of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Uzziah, not because it's good or fun to read, but because it's a warning. Each one of us know that we can easily succumb to those things and easily endanger our own lives to others. So God, we pray that as we go out this day, you give us a greater awareness of the things in our life that need to be dealt with. Help us to take every thought captive. Let us be amazed by the things that you open up and you reveal to us. May we never lose sight that you are the one who's given us all things. And may we please, please, please listen to those in our lives who care about us, who give us advice, who dare to confront us. We know that iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. 
May we be ready to be sharpened by each other. We ask this, that you would be glorified through our lives and that you would protect and surround our homes with the godliness that each one of us brings into them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.